0: The first time I edited that, I when the um, the sign went up and down, one of the um, engaging sounds that I put in there was actually like a, a dentist drill. But I found I couldn't really listen to it after that because it kept giving me bad feelings. So I had to like, re-edit everything just to get that dentist drill out of there. It was a good idea at the time, but like some things, it just should never work. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just... I want to thank you so much for your grace, for, for the undeserving merit that you have gifted us. Holy Spirit, we want to thank you for your presence here this morning. and pray that you would just break down the walls that we have um, worked so hard to put up to defend um, maybe areas of our life that need to be exposed, God. We pray that your word would just speak to us, that it wouldn't be my words, but God, that it would be your truth that would penetrate our being. Thank you so much for your love, for your gentleness, and for your correction. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're just going to dive right in here, Genesis 29. If you can open your Bibles to Genesis 29. A little bit of context here. We're going to be talking about Jacob, okay? Okay? Jacob was in a bit of a tight spot. Jacob had an older brother. His name was Esau. Esau. Esau was in line to get, he was the firstborn. He was going to get the firstborn blessing, which is a huge deal. And so, the father was going to give Esau the blessing. The father, Isaac, was blind. So while Esau was out Jacob took it upon himself to deceive his blind father and make him think that he was actually Esau and then he stole his blessing and then he hightailed it out of there he ran Now I think it's important to note here Esau wasn't just your run of the mill guy This guy was exploding with testosterone okay He was a hunter He had a lot of body hair. He had a lot. He would make Chuck Norris look like a little girl. (laughs) I wish I was exaggerating here. He was a very hairy dude, okay? And so the natural response was to run, and that's exactly what he did. Stole his blessing, and then he ran, especially after he found out that Esau vowed to kill him. It's a good motivation. Anyways, so that is the context in which we're kind of diving into Genesis chapter 29, so let's uh, let's go there now. Verse one. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep laying beside it. For out of the well, the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth. Shepherds, plural, more than one big rock. uh, Would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep. And put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, it is, is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming f- uh, with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. Uh, it is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go uh, pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. Jacob lacked in a lot of different departments. Deception, stealing, manipulation, work ethic, and commitment were not weak areas. He seems kind of bold here, kind of stepping out of his boundary here by telling these guys what to do. He's like, hey, you know this guy? Yeah, okay, cool. How is it? Oh, there's his daughter. All right. What are you guys doing? I mean, look, at the, look where the sun's at. You got to get these sheep watered and get them out of here. You know, he's kind of stepping over his boundaries. And so you get this image of these guys is kind of relaxing. Maybe they got a long piece of grass in their mouth, you know, just kind of dwindling away, drinking lemonade or something like that. And the more I read this verse, the more it started to make sense to me. Maybe these guys weren't as lazy as I had initially thought. If you take a look at the timing, they're waiting for beautiful Rachel to arrive, which is kind of interesting. The rock that closed the mouth was very large. Very large. And it says it took more than one man to move it. It usually took maybe two or three. And it says in verse 10 uh, that, that when she came near, then he rolled a rock. Jacob rolled it by himself. Of course he did. There's one universal truth to, to humanity. Well, I guess to anything. Women are incredible motivators. Attractive women are incredible motivators for guys. I see this all the time in youth ministry, which is one of the pleasures of my job. Not so much in junior youth. Girls aren't quite on the radar yet of junior youth brains. Well, boy brains. Um, but something magical happens between junior youth and senior youth. You know, they, the guys could be lounging up there talking about video games or YouTube videos. And they're just relaxing. And then the girls start coming through the door. And just a transformation happens. (laughs) You know? It's not like I can do this, so... (laughs) Got to take care of what you got, right? (laughs) And the conversation could be go from uh, video games to, like... Yeah, well, I guess I'm uh, going with my cousins hunting for some uh, chukchababras on the weekend. <laughs> Probably bag about three of them again. You know, you know it's true. And husbands it doesn't change when you're a husband. You know, the stones of a well have just been replaced with tight mason jar lids, right? Still the same idea. Jacob falls head over heels for this girl, Rachel. Just falls in love with her. And so uh, he, he goes back to where she's from. She, uh, he meets her, her family. He meets her, her father. Uh, and, and then he meets Leah. She has an older sister, Leah. Now, let's learn a little bit about Leah. She isn't as gifted in the looks department. As, as her younger sister, Rachel, was. We learn that there's something wrong with her eyes. Some translations say that she has delicate, some say tender, refined, soft, or, or weak. You know, that could mean that maybe she had a lazy eye or maybe she was on the verge of going blind. But at any rate, uh, not as attractive to Jacob as, as Rachel was. And if we read in, in uh, verse 17 to 20... Uh, Let's jump there right now. 17. Okay, it says here, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, you got it. And so he works seven years. He works seven years. When have you worked seven years for anything? Worked seven years for Rachel, and when the seven years is up, he gets Leah. Laban throws a fast one at him, and then it gives him Leah, and which Jacob is taken aback by. Why in the world did I get Leah? I wanted Rachel, and then he throws a cultural card at him, and then he says in. Uh, in verses 26 and 28, he says, it is not so done in my country to give the, young, uh, the younger before the firstborn. So he finishes up the week to make the first seven years, and then he is given Rachel. So now he has both women, and then he works an additional seven years. That's 14 years he works. That is Commitment. Now, you can't help but feel bad for Rachel. I mean, sorry, for Leah. It's not her fault that she was, finds herself in this situation that she is in. She was just, she was dealt a poor hand and there was nothing she can do about it. And I think that there's probably people in this room who feel like they were, they've been dealt a poor hand, whether at work, whether at home, physically, mentally, spiritually. But I want you to know that God is committed to you, and he follows through with his promises. He follows through with his promises, and no one knows this more than Leah. Leah marries, and so she feels like it's, the scale is tipped one end because she feels like she's just a consolation prize. Rachel is the one that Jacob wanted, but Rachel was not able to have children. But Leah, God has given her the ability to have children. She has four boys: Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And they're all named after certain scenario uh, like phases of life that she is in. Uh, Reuben, uh, she named Reuben Reuben because God has looked upon her affliction and, and, and will and will cause her husband to finally love her. Boom. She has Simeon. And then, and she names him Simeon because, you know, God has seen that I am hated. And surely, because I've given my husband two sons, then, then he, will, he will love me. Levi. And, and she names Levi, Levi because my husband will now be attached to me. Because I've given him three sons. I've given him three sons. And three is an important number in the Old Testament because it's a number of completion. And boom, she has Judah. And Judah is named Judah because she says, this time, this time, I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. You know, some of us just want the Judas in life. You know, we just want to skip over the Rubens, the Simeon's, and the Levi's. We just want the Judas. We just want to praise and worship. Everything is going good. But the thing is, sometimes in order to get to Judah, we have to first go through the Rubens, the Simeon's, and the Levi's of life. Being committed is hard. It's hard work. In order to to have Rachel, Jacob had to work 14 years. He had to work 14 years to have her. When was the last time he had to work 14 years for a specific, for one check? That's commitment. I believe one of the most dangerous movements spreading violently through the world isn't necessarily atheism. I don't even believe that it's Islamic refugees. I believe it's lack of commitment. Our generation will be known for the lack of commitment to virtually everything except for oneself. Whether we're talking about career, marriage, Faith studies back up the observation that across the board, there is a lack of commitment. In August 4th, 2010, an article named The Lost Art of Commitment, it said, In 2008, more than half of people ages 20 to 24 had been with their current employer for less than a year. Although the recession has dampened that somewhat, young adults are still floundering when it comes to embracing calling... Marriage especially has suffered, according to U.S. census data. Young adults are marrying later than ever. Much of our society's unwillingness to commit is something that hasn't just happened overnight. I believe that you can uh, probably look back to the 60s and 70s, and and there a lot of this philosophy started taking root. In 1979, there's a a sociologist by the name of Robert Bella. Robert Bella conducted extensive interviews and he, and he uh, interviewed a bunch of people to figure out what defined average Americans. And the, his conclusions were very, very sad. Many had, many had no sense of community or social obligation. They saw the world as a fragmented place of, of choice and, and freedom that yielded little meaning or comfort. Many people by this time have already lost the language to express commitment to anything besides themselves. Robert coined a term for that. It's called ontological individualism. That the individual is the only source of meaning. This is... Ontological individualism has infected our universities. It has infected our school institutions. And for years, it has been seeping into our Bible colleges and into our churches. And it's been affecting our families. All those things. Ontological individualism. This self-focus has been ripping in our institutions, crippling our work. Uh, marriages, families and churches. Church, we need to be aware of this epidemic. We need to acknowledge the problem so that we can safeguard the three things that I believe are most danger from this mentality: your faith, your family and in, in the church. your faith in God. You cannot expect God to shower you with blessings if all you do is say a prayer and you go on living like you did before you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't expect peace in your Christian walk if all you do is go to church to fulfill your spiritual quota for the week and and then go live the same way you did before you met Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4:23: 24 says, "Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness." Romans chapter, uh, uh, chapter two, chapter 12 verse two says that we are to be transformed with the renewing of our mind. We have to change completely. This must be something. This this must be something you yourself have to choose. You can't do Christianity for your parents. You can't do Christianity for your wife. You can't do Christianity for a pretty girl. That has to be something you yourself have to choose. You have to take a look at your life and realize that your life sucks without God. That it's just a meaningless rat wheel where you can run and run and run and then when you take a look at where you're at, you're still in the exact same place where you started. Your family, we want great marriages, but are you willing to do the hard work helping out around the house and showing your wife that you love her? We want good marriages, but are we willing to do the hard work to keep them growing? When we're committed to our marriages, we work hard at them. We pour sweat and blood into them. You don't just say your I do's and say, there you go, I'm married. Marriage is a process. We take our wives on dates. We tell them they look beautiful because they are and they deserve to hear it. Now, I'm probably the luckiest man alive because my wife this week nursed me, my daughter Stella, back to health while potty training my son and my, weaning my younger daughter, Jade. I didn't even know that was humanly possible, but my wife pulled it off. She couldn't even be here this morning because she's nursing my children back to health. I don't even know how she does it, and she's doing it. So I did what any reasonable man did in this situation. I paid for her to get her hair done. That's all I got. You put in what you get out. You put in what you get out. That is the engine that drives commitment. Are you are you putting in the same amount that you're getting out? There's a word for that. It's called reciprocity. I'm going to leave this word up here. Reciprocity. You get in, what you get out. Reciprocity. If all you're doing is getting and you're not putting anything in, it's not going to take long for that well to dry up and the relationship to wither and die. It's a scientific, mathematical, and logical reality of life. And you could see this in societies, how we have this so brutally wrong. You take a look at our media. Most of our songs you hear about uh, are just about love at first sight scenarios. Movies are the exact same way. You look at almost any single romance comedy, quote-unquote chick flick. Maria thought I might offend people if I say chick flick. I'm sorry. That's what we call them in our household. Um, Romance comedies, which are basically puppy love-based stories that revolve primarily around getting the guy and the girl. And when they do, you don't know what happens after that, but be- because by then, the movie is done and the credits are rolling. The whole movie was about barely even scratching the surface. We, we romanticize the shallow puppy love beginnings of relationships without glorifying the beauty, the texture this, of overcoming struggles in a seasoned marriage. We just planted the seed. We don't even know what's going to grow. I want to see a movie that takes off after 10, 15, 20 years of marriage. And show the power of what a seasoned relationship can overcome. Don't give me this cheap bargain store puppy love. Buy one, get one free. I want the real deal. Now, we have to show our young people what that looks like because the media, they're in no hurry to do that. And I believe that this philosophy is degrading to our young people, and that's why a lot of our marriages aren't lasting. I want to see what commitment does in a marriage when you're up against seemingly impossible odds. That's what I want to see. But the truth of the matter is, this world is afraid of commitment. That's why more marriages fall apart than they stick together. We have a lot of ceremonies, but we don't have a lot of weddings. We light a lot of candles, we throw the bouquets, but at the first sign of trouble, I'm out of here. Commitment means you throw your whole self at a dream. Throw your whole self at a dream. Do you know what it means to throw your whole self at anything? I remember what it felt like throwing my whole self out of an airplane. That was very scary. Mind you, when you throw yourself out of an airplane, you don't really have the choice to go back, the commitment is done. Done deal, you got your money's worth. With everything else in life, it's a daily battle to choose commitment over escape. When you have a baby, you commit to raising that baby for God. You commit to raising that child to live for something with purpose, with meaning, to live for something worth dying for. You commit to your family. Your family is given by God. No matter what scenario. You may be like, you have, to be, you have to be a family that, the type of family that says, let's get through this. Be a let's get through this type of family. No matter what scenario. Husband loses his job after working years of hard, of hard labor. Let's get through this family. Brother gets cancer. Let's work through this. We can do this. Let's be a, let's get through this family. Daughter gets pregnant out of wedlock. Let's get through this. Let's push forward and let's get through this. Yes, it sucks, but we're going to push through this because God can give us that courage and energy and power and stamina no matter what. Church commitment Some of you come to this church. Some of you come quite religiously. But you are not joined. Some of you come here quite frequently, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong, that is great. But you've got one foot in the door. And you will never truly taste the beauty of what it feels like to contribute who you are into a ministry that brings a person to the likeness of Christ. Whether that means food ministry, setting up chairs, youth ministry, children's ministry, tech team, worship team, whatever. Our ministries span from infants to seniors. I think you could probably find a place between there where you can serve. And if you feel like you still can't, we will find a fit for you. We will make you fit. If all you can do is play kazoo, we will start a kazoo group. Practices will probably be on Monday in Pastor Ike's living room. He's not in the service, right? Good. Making sure. I know Quentin's here. I won't say Quentin yet. Um, so, we will find a fit for you. There will be a place for you. The church is the bride of Christ. Get involved. Get to know her. Engage yourself in some commitment with the body of Christ. This church, we, we exist To bring people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's a very broad statement which allows for a lot of wiggle room. Engage yourself in the commitment with their church. Reciprocity. Take a tally of how much you are giving. And I'm not just talking about tithing here. Are you getting more from this church? Are you getting more than you're giving? Are you getting more than you're giving? Yeah, chances are you, you've appreciated the powerful worship, the powerful music that we had before I came up. And sometimes it's so easy to overlook how much work had to go through in order to get this all set up. Song selection, prayer, just to make sure that, that we are in a place in an atmosphere of worship. Chances are you, you've enjoyed sitting in the chair for you, and sometimes it's so easy to overlook that that chair was placed there by somebody. Someone had to make the sacrifice and commit to coming here and set up that chair just for you. Sometimes we overlook that stuff. Some of you should be up here singing. Some of you should be up here playing, organizing, setting up, encouraging. You fill in the gaps. The most gifted people are the casual ones. That's what I found. The most gifted people are the casual ones. Because they hide behind their gifts. You hide behind your gifts because it camouflages your lack of commitment. You're not committed. You're just talented. I know because I was one of those casual people. I was one myself. Commitment puts me in an uncomfortable position because I can't choose between two schools. I can't choose two wives. I can't choose to go to two different youth groups. I can't choose to go to two different churches because I take my commitment too seriously to spread it out too loosely commitment isn't easy instead of going a mile long and an inch deep you could be going an inch long and a mile deep into the greatness god has in store for your life if you choose to commit yourself many of us find scapegoats for problems that we face in life, we don't feel our relationship with God is, is going anywhere, we feel our marriages are bland, that our churches have become complacent and watered down, chances are that's not as a result of the devil. It's not as a result of the demons. It's probably a result of your lack of commitment. When was the last time you, threw yourself, Holy at something. Imagine what that would do to your faith. Imagine. Can you imagine your faith if you gave and committed everything that you are to God? You'd be like, God, I'm not gonna have a friend that's not gonna that 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 you don't want me to have. God, I'm not gonna date a girl that you don't want me to marry. I'm not going to subject myself to the garbage on iTunes or even Netflix or any type of social media because it's not allowing me to worship you to the best best ability that I have. What would your family look like if you were committed to them? What would your family look like if you, you poured everything that you were into your family through sickness and in health? You would realize that it's not about a feeling. You'd realize that it was a choice that only you yourself can make. You see, our families are sacred. You can choose your friends, but your family was given to you by God, whether you like them or not. I'm trying to look for my sisters here. Church, there is no engaged church without commitment. Is church all about what I can get? I tithe, therefore feed me, or as Kurt Cobain would say, entertain me. If you expect staff to do all the committing, our church days will be numbered. This is not what church is about. The Bride of Christ is an engaged community that loves with guts, spreading hope in our communities, country, and then the world. And I'm so thankful for all of the committed people that we have that make this place move. I love seeing this view right now of One of my Sunday school teachers, Andy Unger, who is teaching right now furiously to our junior youth, to the worship team, tirelessly working towards connecting you guys to God through through music. I'm so thankful for the chair setup committee and especially the maintenance people. We have lights. We have projectors. If you get anything from my sermon today, my prayer is that you leave here knowing that God has committed himself wholly to you, to the point of death on the cross. A cross that was that was reserved for murderers, for thieves, for rapists, and that is the way he decided to go for you. but his commitment for your salvation outweighed the agonizing physical torture and more importantly, spiritual separation from God all because he loved you. We could never give enough to replace what Jesus did for us on the cross. But this is the beauty of grace. We don't have to because we're the children of God. Grace has covered us. If you have committed your life to God, I welcome you. If you have not committed your life to God, and if you're sitting here in the chair being like, man, I, I just I haven't done that. Well, guess what? It's never too late. You could do that here this morning. It's not, it's not something that's complicated. It's actually very quite simple. I'm going to pray after. And I really struggled whether or not I should put this in here, but it, I feel like I should if you want to become a Christian, if you want to be committed to something as big as Christ, then all you need to do is acknowledge that you're a sinner and you've fallen short of his righteousness. Two, you accept him. Accept Jesus Christ as your sole means of salvation. And accept what he did 2,000 years ago was for you personally. Three, you dedicate your life to serving him. That's it. And if that is something that you do here this morning, I want to encourage you to come talk to myself. Talk to any member of the the worship team that is up here. Talk to uh, any one of the staff that is here. But talk to somebody so we can get you connected and engaged in a church that strives to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are are so loving. Thank you so much for giving us grace. And God, right now, as we are processing our level of commitment, I pray that you would just not discourage us, but God, I pray that you would just challenge us in a holy way to get engaged in your purpose to get engaged in one of the many ministries that we have in this church so that we can be more effective in loving, so that we can stretch our arms out even further as we hug our community, God. God, we acknowledge that it is all because of you. It has nothing to do with us, God. We exist solely to to worship you with everything that we are. And God, we pray that this morning, when we leave here, that happens thank you for your grace. Thank you for goodness. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand for this last song.